Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Looking to advertise your product or service on Unchained and Unconfirmed? Reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities on Unchained and Unconfirmed. My guest today is Rune Christensen, co-founder and CEO of MakerDAO. Welcome, Rune. Thanks. You have a stablecoin project called MakerDAO, which has two tokens associated with it. There's the DAI stablecoin and also Maker. Before we get into your news this week, can you give listeners some context on why there are two coins and in particular what Maker is? Yeah, so um, so basically it's uh, like we have the stablecoin DAI, which is, well, really, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an attempt to create a stablecoin that combines everything that's necessary to really unlock the potential of blockchain. So DAI is really this... Um, this crypto asset meant for the end user, right? Someone who's just going to use blockchain technology. And Maker, on the other hand, is like sort of at the other end, extreme end. So Maker is a governance token that controls the platform that backs the DAI stablecoin. So it's for really advanced crypto users who want to get into a sort of the, the advanced governance of a decentralized financial platform. And when you say that it's for governance, what kinds of decisions will Maker holders make? So that really comes down to the nature of the type of stablecoin that DAI is. So DAI is uh, what's called a crypto collateralized stablecoin, meaning that its stability is uh, is backed by this this decentralized platform, right? And on this decentralized platform, there are various types of collaterals. So basically, tokens such as um, that could be UC twenty tokens like uh, like Ethereum, obviously but also tokenized assets such as Digix Gold or other types of asset-backed tokens. And um, they are combined into this portfolio of assets that together back the stability of DAI. And where maker holders come in is that they are the ones who make the crucial decisions on what types of collateral to to allow in the system and on what terms. So basically uh, something like, you know, determining how, you know, like Ethereum, for instance, should be considered a, a bit more risky than something like gold, which in turn should be more risky than something like tokenized fiat, for instance, or tokenized bonds. Okay. So given that context, um, what was your news that you announced earlier this week? Yeah. So uh, this past, this last Monday, we, we just announced this really big partnership we're doing with Andreessen Horowitz, where what they're doing is they are coming in and purchasing 6% of the total supply of the MKR governance token from the Mega Foundation. And uh, that really means that they, you know, they, they want to get involved deeply in this, the actual governance of this decentralized financial platform we've built. Um, in addition to, of course, like help bootstrap the system and provide their the incubation services and so on. But in particular, also actually be a part of the governance community 
and help actually regulate and control and, uh, you know, keep the DAI stablecoin stable. There's a huge range of stablecoin projects that are using a number of different approaches. Some of them are just tokenizing fiat that's held in reserve at a bank. There's collateralized versions similar to MakerDAO. There's what are called senior shares versions where you try to use algorithms to keep the price stable. So I know I'm going to ask you to speak for someone else, but uh, I'm assuming that you must have talked with Katie Hahn, who was the partner at Andreessen who led this deal. Do you know what prompted her to take an interest in this type of stablecoin project as opposed to some of the others? Yeah, I mean, so um, so first of all, you know, we are actually one of the oldest stablecoins in the whole space. So um, we started originally before the Ethereum blockchain was even launched and basically set out to create the, you know, the ultimate stablecoin that you know, is, will really be able to take the space forward. And what we very quickly identified is that a really good stablecoin basically needs two very important features. And the first one is, so it has to be decentralized, obviously, right? Because it's blockchain technology and the whole point is to bring blockchain forward, right? And preserve the, the most important values, which is through, you know, decentralization, not having a single point of failure and, and basically all of that stuff, right? So, so that's why what we've created is fundamentally a fully decentralized and autonomous platform. But then on the other hand, there also has to be this like sound, you know, like sort of this fundamental stability to it, right? So, and the only way to get something that really makes sense and just is stable is to have real assets and real value backing the value of the stable coin. So that's why the thing that our platform does is it regulates and it sort of manages this portfolio of collateral assets to guarantee and back the stability of the DAI stablecoin. And it's really because, I mean, so it's really, it's it's the fact that we're one of the oldest, right? We've been working on this for three and a half years. And basically this entire time, we've been just focusing on first, just delivering the system because when you want to build it the way we're building it, right? Where you're actually constructing this full, you know, fully fleshed decentralized platform. It, it takes a lot of time to to actually get that right and build it out. So, I mean, that's definitely one of the things that really, you know, that, that Katie has 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 really said this one of the main things that attracted her, right? Is that we took this like cautious, no hype approach where we focused on building, because that actually also translates to somewhat of a regulatory edge, right? Where we haven't really caused much of a stir with any regulators by doing an ICO or something, which, you know, in hindsight clearly has turned out to be uh, somewhat controversial. Even though at the time, you know, when we were just beginning, ICOs didn't even exist. I mean, that term only came into existence later. So, I mean, it's, you know, like the, our model is fundamentally, we believe, like very interesting compared to, to, to you know, either the, the more simple IOU models that still are centralized, so they just don't have that characteristic of being decentralized, right? And then also the senior shares models, which um, basically, I mean, they're decentralized, but it's not really clear if they will remain stable over the long term. And there's basically like a number of doubts about them that can't really be easily explained. Whereas with our system, which is this multi-collateralized, you know, with, with crypto collateral, it's, you know, it, like it also makes sense. And that's also because like we are the kind, like, you know, we're, we're, we're doing blockchain and we're doing a lot of really advanced technology, right? And we're, we're even doing stuff like formal verification. Uh, but at the same time, we also try to rely as much as possible on existing 
methodology and existing theory, and in particular, try to rely on like the old school financial uh, thought when it comes to risk management and uh, like uh, you know how to create stability with financial tools. And we are using this, you know, this thought to then apply to our decentralized platform and ultimately create something where instead of like trying to completely like reinvent the wheel, we're really just trying to, to take the traditional financial space and then bring it into the new world with blockchain. Yeah. I just want to point out for listeners who don't know what formal verification is, which Rune mentioned, that is a way of kind of vetting a smart contract before you put it out in the world to ensure that it will actually perform the way that you intend it to, which could have been really helpful with something like the DAO. Um, (laughs) And then I just wanted to comment also about what you said about ICOs. Katie previously was a federal prosecutor, and she knows a lot about uh, regulatory issues and how the government works. And so I um, actually do wonder also if that may have played a role in this investment, uh, because as you said, I think things look quite different now um, from how they did, you know, a couple of years ago when people were getting really excited about the potential and initial coin offerings. But we're going to actually take a really quick break to to talk about my fabulous sponsor, which is just myself. This ad spot could be yours. Got a great product or service for Unchained listeners? Reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities on Unchained and Unconfirmed. Again, that's Laura Shin Podcast, L-A-U-R-A-S-H-I-N Podcast at gmail.com. I'm speaking with Rune Christensen of MakerDAO. Something that was a bit surprising to me was that considering that any project, you know, garnering investment from A16D, A16Z should, that should generate excitement. There was actually a fair amount of criticism about this deal. I noticed online, one of the criticisms was about the process, because I think MakerDAO is sort of known for being pretty transparent. You know, you guys have these open calls that anyone can participate in, and the recordings are publicly available. You've already had a vote on governance. So why conduct this deal behind closed doors? I mean, so this was something that was really brought up by a lot of people in the community who are probably not very familiar with... Um, you know, like the early stages of a startup and just like fundraising in general and, and making deals. Um, and then also, like you say yourself, right? I mean, we've always, we've always, we, we're building, I mean, we are a project that fundamentally relies on governance. As we said earlier, like as I said earlier, right? The, the MKR holders control the risk management and basically control the collateral of the decentralized maker platform and make those decisions. And in the foundation, we've been working to slowly build out this like this process of decentralization and basically teaching the community how to govern the system. And uh, one of the very recent things we did on this front was we held the foundation proposal, which was the very first governance proposal for the system where all MPR holders actually got to participate in a governance vote. Um, and we had this like process of um, like debate on the proposal and then ultimately uh, like like amending the proposal, kind of like changing it based on feedback and ultimately reaching something where then everybody can agree. I mean, so one of the things, like, so, well, so first of all, what's really important, of course, also, also to make clear is that there are some people who mistakenly believe that the MKR token gave them like governance rights or even like claims to the foundation itself when really the MKR token is about 
controlling the, you know, the unchanged system and doing risk governance of that system. But then secondly, in this vote, it actually, you know, like one of the main things that ended up like from, from doing this foundation proposal, one of the main uh, conclusions we came to was that the community basically said, well, we should focus primarily on growth of the ecosystem. And so to get back to this thing about how you do deals, right? Like how you do a VC deal. Basically, it is just fundamental. I mean, it's not just about deals, in fact, right? It's also just about like how you run an early stage startup and how you sort of bootstrap a product and this kind of stuff, right? And fundamentally, that's just, you know, that's not something where you can apply the same standards of, uh, of sort of like a, of decentralized governance as you would do to the long running control of, uh, you know, like a, a stable coin platform. Cause these are really two completely different problems, right? Like one, it's about transparency and it's about like uh, relying on scientific methods and, and uh, like scientific consensus and this kind of stuff. Whereas if you're trying to bootstrap a startup, it's really about being flexible and, uh, you know, like being able to, to compete in a marketplace and being the first and this kind of stuff. Right. So like fundamentally it's, like there are people who suggested that we, that deals like this should actually be done through votes, which again, I mean, this is not something that's, this has never been the expectation, right? Because MKR, like the, like the MKR voting powers are really about governing the system. It's not about controlling the foundation, but also what's important to keep in mind is it's simply not possible. I mean, it's, you simply cannot do deals. Like you can't negotiate a deal if, that deal can be basically, you know, like thrown away by the community, for instance, right? Like if it ultimately can't go through unless you have a big public vote about it, because that's just going to completely net, like alter the nature of the negotiation. So ultimately, I mean, in the end, this is really, I mean, to a large extent, it's kind of like people who are not really a part of the core community. To, and it's more like a, I mean, you know, it's like a, like there, there's always, you know, in the crypto space, it's always like, critics and there was people who who like to talk on twitter right and this is mostly like outsiders or people without a, a really good understanding of what our project is actually doing and what we're looking for in deals as well who just saw this as an opportunity to you know like create a story that's that's like easy to to get confused by if you don't know the whole picture and tell me also about the distribution of the tokens. Where did the 6% that went to A16Z come from? So Maker never did an ICO, right? What instead happened was that basically the initial community who founded the project took the entire distribution of tokens and put it into the foundation. And so the foundation has been initially paying out, like um, been using MKR as, as, uh, as a way to, to pay the employees in the very early days. Later, it graduated to um, selling to like core community members that were sort of well known by the core team, so we could slowly expand the community. Um, and this is also done because, again, because the maker platform is governed by the community in the long run, it's absolutely critical that it's the right people who are doing this governance, right? Because if it's the wrong people, that means the the risk management of the collateral can be done, you know, wrong, and which could result in less stability for the stablecoin. So this process, and so that was also a big reason for not doing an ICO, right? It's, we wanted to make sure we had this control process of how the MKR tokens were distributed and making sure they get to the, the right people with the right mindset and with the ability to actually learn how to become a decentralized governance community over the long run. Right, not just speculators. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so the next step was to finally start selling to funds, right? So we can start getting these institutions involved. 
Um, and we did a sale to Polychain, for instance, uh, many years back when they just started. We actually did a, another sale to Andreessen a year ago when we launched Single Collateral Dot. And that was kind of one of the very first tiny uh, steps into crypto to like try it out. So where we are today is that the foundation re- like has 28% of the total supply remaining in what's called the DEF fund, right? Which is basically the, like the MKR that's, that's retained by the foundation to, um, to, you know, to bootstrap the ecosystem, right? Like build out the system and get it ready for the decentralized governance community to take it over completely. Yeah. I mean, we think it's like, we think it's actually critical to have Andreessen on board. I mean, Andreessen are, are seen as the leaders in, in tech investing, right? They kind of like are the ones that set the tone for what's, where's the technology going to go? Uh, and, you know, they, they invested in and success, successfully incubated Coinbase, for instance, which we think is really critical, right? And it's kind of, um, it's a, that's a, that's a company and a project we like to compare ourselves to. Hmm. And uh, I mean, what's what's also really interesting in the context of the governance and the distribution is that Andreessen are also going to be the first, I mean, with, with this very big investment, right, where they really are taking a very significant stake of the project, they are, you know, going to really lead the charge on figuring out how do institutions actually interact with the system, right? How does an institution uh, act as a part of the community and participate in the governance? And once they're started figuring that out, that means they'll you know they'll sort of show that there's an opportunity for others to get involved and we can start getting you know getting even more widespread in with the financial institutions what discount did they receive on their tokens so at the time it was negotiated um it was like it was pretty much at the bottom of the market um but we didn't negotiate based on a discount right we just negotiated based on a fixed price when the when the like the moment the purchase actually happened, um, it just like happened to randomly be at that time, there was a huge crash. Like, you know, it was literally at the bottom, basically. So it was actually barely anything when the, when the transaction actually happened. When the announcement happened, it was about 40%. And this is one of the things that people have been pretty uh, riled up about, right? But this is basically, you know, like... There's no way we could have known that, for instance, the price would, you know, like the market return and the price would increase right after. And another thing to keep in mind is also that, like, the total value of the deal was $15 million. And MKR is an asset that doesn't have, like, it, it has a daily volume of about, like, 500K to a million dollars. So, so it's like, so, it's, it's not, yeah, sorry, good. Well, wait, so I just want to go back. So that there was, like, when you say that there was barely any discount, what was the actual discount at that time? Um, I don't actually know because I mean I I believe that the, the the trading price like it hit about three hundred, and uh, the per- price the purchase was two hundred fifty. So at that particular moment, it must have been around fifteen percent or something. But we did you know when we negotiated it was it was early in time when the price was actually higher. So I mean it's because we negotiated based on a fixed price and not based on a discount. It's not really possible to say, right? But like, I mean, based on today's prices, it is 40%. Well, why give them a discount at all? I mean, so ultimately it's because, first of all, is it like, I mean, first of all, it's not so critical for us to, uh, like we're not doing this deal for the money because Maker has always had an easy time raising funds um, and we have plenty of cash in the foundation. But it's basically because we consider the value that they will be bringing to the project worth 
giving them a good deal, basically. I mean, we want them to be involved because particularly we want Katie Horn involved, right? Because we realize the immense importance of, you know, a good regulatory strategy and like a good approach and basically a good, um, you know, profile and brand in regards to the regulators in particular in the US, which is a key market. And then also because of basically the manpower they're bringing to the table. So, you know, they're, they're really high quality VC, right? They have, they have teams that can help with, you know, like boring, but critical stuff such as market development, PR, um, you know, basically like working on the part, like the part of, of the whole project, which is to actually get it out there and get it adopted and spreading the word and that kind of stuff. So, so basically, I mean, it's, it's one half of the, it is a deal to raise funds, but that's not really why we're doing it. It's primarily because we want to bring on board this incredible value that they can give us. So ultimately, we're really happy with the deal. I mean, we really see it as like a net value gain for us and for the community as a whole. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you one last question, which is you're also going to be moving to multi-collateralized DAI. So far, it's only been Ether that people have been using as collateral. So you know now other crypto assets will be able to uh, be used to collateralize DAI. I was just thinking about this with some other people like on Twitter and stuff, but I think that this could lead to an increase in the power of MakerDAO on the Ethereum system in that all the crypto assets that are used as collateral for DAI will want to stick together in the event of a fork and follow Maker. Do you agree with that? And if so, do you, you know, I know that you try really hard to keep Maker itself decentralized. So how do you feel about that? I mean, I've actually always believed that this has been, I mean, I don't think, I, I think this effect goes beyond just like the collateral in Maker, for instance, and it really applies to all dApps in Ethereum. Because the reason why anyone cares about Ethereum is because it's a network that realizes synergy between applications, right? So, and that's also why we're seeing, you know, all dApps on Ethereum. They're not really going on other blockchains that much. That's because Ethereum is where the network already is. So that's where you want to go. So basically, I always think that in the event of a hard fork, ultimately it comes down to the depths and the projects on the blockchain to sort of like whichever fork gets the critical mass will ultimately end up getting getting most of it. And I mean, I think definitely, right? Like, I mean, something like MPR holders voting to decide what fork they like could have an effect on Ethereum, but so would be the case for, let's say, Augur and uh, Omisigo and other of the major Ethereum-based projects. Well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll see how this plays out. But, you know, at the moment, Augur is tiny. And I feel like a stable coin like Maker could play a much more pivotal role. But all this remains to be seen. I guess we'll have to have you back on the show and see how it all plays out. But thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks for having me, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylene Gallipoli, Rassel Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. <laughs>